Take your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 5. I want to read you the most horrifying verse in all of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Why don't you think about that? Just let that sink in for a second. There you go. There's the requirement. There's the standard. You have to be perfect. And your perfection is not your perfection. It is the Father's perfection. That's the standard. That's what you're required to do. This is the level of righteousness that's required out of all of us. That's horrifying, isn't it? Now I want you to think, put yourself back 500 years ago. A little bit more now. How are you going to get there? How are you going to get that righteousness? You got to work to get it. That's what the Roman Catholic Church was telling them. You got to do everything you can possibly do to work to achieve this righteousness. And everybody that doesn't achieve it goes to purgatory and they burn it off. And if we know God's standard for righteousness and his standard for perfection, how long are they going to be there to burn it off? If we really understand God's righteousness, we understand that one sin deserves eternal hell. But the Pope stands up and says, look, I'll tell you what, give me some money. Give me some indulgences, that's what they call it, and we can buy out some of your relatives. They can get out of purgatory. What is this? Garbage. Can you imagine living under that standard, that burden? Why do I love this day? I love this day because on October 31st, 1517, God worked in a monk to say, that's it. No more. We don't attain God's righteousness by our own deeds. Isn't that great truth? Is it something to remember? (laughs) Absolutely. You ask me why I celebrate Reformation Day. It's because it's the day. It's, It's huge. It's a moment in church history that makes the difference. If it didn't happen, ladies and gentlemen, we would all, most likely, be in churches that did not teach the word. All right, so I want to do a little summary of the Reformation. We'll go over this briefly. i got pictures, too, so I'll try not to bore you all to death. But we'll give you a couple of details here. 
I want to give you the definition of reformation, the act of amending or approving by change, reform, or removal of faults. This is the period in history of the church from 1517 to 1648, when a great religious movement took place that marked the rejection of much of Roman Catholic, Catholic doctrine and practice and the establishment of the Protestant church. All right, so Reformation is pretty important, right? Do you know why you're Protestant, by the way? Who can tell me what that means and where did it derive from? Come on. I've talked to you all about it before. What? A protest. They're Protestants, or they were protesting against the Roman Catholic doctrine. It was a reaction from within, within the church. He was a monk, as we said, uh, Martin Luther. And it declared an opinion and dissent against the Roman Catholic Church. There's a couple of conditions that were prime for it. One was the printing press. There's a picture of it right there. What this did was open up the Bible to the common person. That was huge because once the common person started reading the Bible, it wasn't just in Latin. It was the perfect setup for the truth of the gospel to then go out. Because up to that point, what was happening in church history and churches was the priest would get up here like this, and he would begin to speak, and he'd speak in Latin. And all the people spoke in what? German or English or whatever, right? Did they understand anything he was saying? No. So what they would do is he would say whatever. We don't even know what half the time they were saying. Nothing about the gospel, and the people never knew. So with the printing press came this idea of uh, the Bible being spread. Then there was a nationalistic spirit, the departure from this uh, idea of one universal state. What that did was give some people some independence. And they said, okay, I'm going to – it gave independent ideas. Now, that can be obviously bad or good, right? <laughs> in the wrong hands, it's bad. But in the hands that – separate from the Roman Catholic Church and not stick to one um, um, not, or one universal state, it helps. Also, there was intellectual changes, the rise of original languages and how the study of it, and we'll see that in a second, and then the corruption of the Roman Catholic Church. Somebody was asking me today at lunch, do, uh, does God, is God a part of even bad things? I mean, I... It, is he, is he working in bad things? How does he work in bad things? Well, this is a prime example of it. The debauchery of Roman, the Roman Catholic Church, as bad as it got, helped to what? Give the soil or the ground for the Reformation to take off. So God took a bad thing, how bad things were with the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the Pope's control was extremely elaborate. He caused people to... Uh, tithe and taxes and census and vacancies. It left, led to a whole bunch of corruption. Obviously, with bureaucracy, you have that often. Popes before the Reformation were politically and morally corrupt, corrupt, so you had guys that were doing unimaginable things. By the way, I heard this week, I want to tell you a story uh, through different various channels. Uh, I heard a story of nuns. Can't use the most graphic language, but I want to give you a little bit about it. When you think of nuns, what do you think of? Kind. 
nice ladies that keep themselves, right, pure, right? Come to find out, this, uh, I'm going to use words that y'all can handle. This person told me about how most of the nuns that she knew of and a lot of the nuns that she knew of in this thing were uh, liking other ladies. You got the gist? So, in fact, the very thing that we look on the outside and think it's that way, she went into this so that she could be part of that. So, everything that we think about purity is the opposite. All of this is being exposed nowadays. It's coming out into the news. But it was no different during this time. And this showed the corruption of people that would set up this Pharisee system. One of the kids, were, I was talking, I think Andrew even told, I think it was you, Andrew, we were talking about how, uh, how this whole idea of legalism and how this was and the Roman Catholic Church being this way. And he said to me, well, that's the Pharisees. Well, <laughs> they weren't the Pharisees, but they are just like the Pharisees. The same concept. The Roman Catholic Church was this way. They sold those things called indulgences. Who can give me a definition of that? Daniel, see how your church history went. Absolutely. Paying your way out of judgment or paying your way out of purgatory. Uh, How appropriate is that for the world and evil, right? If you need to pay for bills and you want to be rich, what do you do? You take people that feel guilty and you charge them to get the guilt off of them, right? Which, by the way, is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. And so this was prime for the pre-Reformation or the Reformation to come. Plus, you had these pre-Reformation guys. I found you some pictures of these guys. John Wycliffe. I spelled it wrong. It's supposed to have an E on the end of Wycliffe. And people pronounce it differently. Wycliffe, Wycliffe. We all cliff. Yeah. John Wycliffe, and that's this guy right here. And I think the pictures are pretty much accurate because it was interesting. As I looked at all the pictures, they all looked somewhat similar. You know, so they had different portraits. And obviously, they didn't take it with cameras. They did it by paintings and things like that. Um, John Huss, this guy over here was born on the right, was burned. Uh, William Tyndale and Erasmus. Let me tell you a little bit about these guys. John Wycliffe was the morning star of the Reformation. He attacked the church doctrine of transubstantiation and translated the Bible into English in 1382. That's pretty important, huh? First English Bible. Um, Died of a stroke in 1384. Uh, In 1415, he was declared a heretic. So it was after he died, which I guess in some ways that would be good, right? You were already dead in glory. He's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, they exhumed his body. This is how radical they were. They took his body, they dug it up, and they burned it and washed his ashes out to sea to uh, show their disgust of this man. He attacked the pulpacy saying Christ was the head of the church and denied baptismal Baptism regeneration. In other words, he said that a baby, when they're baptized, don't get regenerated. So that's a pretty important thing, right? John Huss, he adopted 
uh, many of Wycliffe's views, and he preached against the abuses of the church, the indulgences. In July 1414, he was tried and declared um, a heretic, and he was, uh, I thought I had it listed here. He was burned at the stake, yeah. He was burned at the stake, this guy here. All with the whole idea of, you know, this is heresy, standing for the truth. William Tyndale, known for his translation of the Bible into English, uh, stresses the authority of Scripture, opposed baptismal regeneration, and believed in justification by faith. This was back in 1494 to 1536. And then Erasmus, this was an interesting fella. Uh, not still sure, we're not sure completely if he was saved. <laughs> he wasn't completely there on justification by faith, but began to show uh, the errors in the Latin translations and started to bring to light what the Bible was really saying. He's a very important figure. So these were key figures in the early Reformation. And now we come to the Reformation. There he is, the man. You know, when you look at the pictures and all the pictures, you think, you know, God just picks the normal Joes. Doesn't he look like a, just a normal dude? I mean, you didn't pick somebody. He didn't pick somebody that was really, uh, you know, handsome, debonair. He's just a guy, normal guy. This is Martin Luther. He was born in 1483, and he died in 1546. As a professor at the University of Wittenberg in 1512, he lectured on the Psalms and Romans, which is where he got saved when he was going through Romans. He also taught on Galatians and Hebrews. It's during his study of the scriptures, Martin Luther's theology can be seen as to change, especially with respect to justification by faith. Again, he's the guy that God used to bring to light that we can't be perfect by what we do. We can't be declared right by what we do. It's by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, for God's glory alone. A reason why we believe in verse-by-verse teaching all arises from guys like this. They're the ones that started doing it, going through the Bible, verse-by-verse. Luther first came to public through uh, a publication of what was on our door out there that Stephen posted, the 95 Theses. I'm saying it wrong every time. Which one is it? Let's come to a conclusion. What is it, Mark? We'll go with what Mark said. Theses. Okay, 95 Theses. Some, huh? Okay, so it's the plural of thesis because a thesis is a statement. I thought my thesis had to be really long, but I guess it's a, it can be one thesis statement. And so if you have a bunch of thesis, it's a thesis, 95 thesis. Okay. He posted them on the door of the Wittenberg Castle on October 31st, 1517. From this point on, sola fide, that is faith alone, scripture alone, became the main points of the theological system. And sola fide, which means we are declared right by through faith alone, was the main one of the main points. Luther argued passionately for the need of church reform, and then in 1518, Luther was summoned to appear before the Imper, imperial Diet of Augsburg, 
At this appearance, a cardinal required that he retract his views. And so what did Luther do? He refused to do this until he should become convinced of their falsity by Scripture. And he stands. You know, this is one of those things. Man, we need more people with backbone like this, don't we? If we live in a society that is all about tolerance, a man that stands up with backbone like this wouldn't go over very well either, would he? So, yes, we don't judge and we show uh, gentleness and kindness on preferences, but standing for the Scripture is important. It's important. Do we take it seriously in our lives? God's used people like this. In 1520, Luther was excommunicated, but by that time, the Reformation had taken hold. In 1521, in another summons of Diet of Worms in the spring of 1521, Luther again refused to recant unless he could be convinced of the fault of the testimony by Scripture. So it's all this idea, and there was an edict for him to be arrested at that moment. While enforced residence at Wartburg, Wartburg Castle translated the entire New Testament into his native German language in less than a year. That's an amazing feat. And Luther was a national hero in, to the Germans, which led to the spread of the word. Neat guy. All right. John Calvin, 1509 to 1564. Yes, Andrew, I think, I'm fairly sure, son, when you get older, you could have a mean beard like that too. <laughs> it would be good. I'm thinking, I'm thinking Andrew could look like John Calvin, don't you think? Yes. He was born in France. The bulk of Calvin's ministry was in Geneva, Switzerland. I'm hoping to take you there one day, son. He was converted in his mid-twenties, uh, like his dad, like me. And he was a major figure for the second period of the Reformation. The period put an emphasis on systemizing theology, systematizing. That is, bringing together thoughts uh, from the Bible, taking from all of our scripture to bring together thoughts. Calvin said out to come up with the basic explanation of evangelical theology, justifying them on the basis of Scripture. And he published in 1536 the Institutes of Christian Religion. How many of you, by the way, have read those all the way through? Anybody? Nobody. Okay. Maybe something for us to read. It would be good for us. Okay? All right. The second book he wrote, was with the de with the need of the human need of redemption in the manner which the redemption is achieved by Christ the mediator. All right, we'll go on. There's Ulrich Zwingli. That's the best picture I could find of him. 1484 to 1531. I think the artist really wanted to give him a cold or something. <laughs> he was a Swiss reformer who was influenced by Erasmus and committed to the belief, to belief in the need to reform the church of his day. Christ is not present in the Eucharist, is what he said. And the Roman Catholic view that the bread actually became the body of Jesus, he said, was wrong. Zwingli stated the Eucharist was best seen as a memorial to Christ's death 
which is what? Where we get the concept of the Lord's Supper. A lot of these things. Otherwise, we wouldn't have these truths, guys. God used these kind of men, these men. He wasn't near as popular as Luther or Calvin, but helped to spread the Reformation eastern, eastward to Switzerland. So, what came of the Reformation and these men? That's what we talked about briefly. These five principles. Okay, who can tell me them again? I think I spelled the last one wrong, but that's okay. What are they? Solo de Gloria, which is what? No, not Stephen. Somebody else. Sola de Gloria, what's that mean? Yes. Glory to God alone. Sola means alone, right? And what is this? What language is it in? Latin. Why Latin? Right. And, and also, remember, it was a reformation from within. So everything was in Latin. A lot of things were in Latin. So they were speaking and they, they were doing things. So a lot of the scholars did that. But people came to understand what they meant, which is good. All right. Men are to give to God the glory to, to God alone. The justification of God's wisdom and power against papal uh, uh, evils, man-made religion, honoring God's sovereign tr- um, sovereignty was the whole key. Then there's sola gratia. What's that? Grace alone. Salvation is by grace alone, right? Redemption as God's free gift accomplished by Christ's saving death and resurrection. All right. So I had a a question today. Um, One of our questions today. Is it important that we stand on the fact that God has to move in the heart of a person to regenerate them first before we believe? At least simultaneous. Would you say that that's important? Why? Okay, and we're not able to on our own, and why else? Justin, why is it important that it's God that has to work in our hearts first in order for us to believe? Right. It's all about grace. It's all about unmerited favor. Otherwise, we can all stand up and say, I did it, right? And what would be the difference then saying, I bought an indulgence. I'm out of purgatory. There's no difference. So it's so important that we stand on these truths. Sola fide, Mike, what is it? Faith alone. All right, salvation by faith alone. Faith alone justifies man, um, uh, receives God's justification or declaration of righteousness through the instrument of our faith, not our works. And again, that is so important. As we went through the Sermon on the Mount today, again, how many of you were convicted? Everybody? Okay, so the question is, is how are we declared right? Are we going to reform ourselves today? We're going to start doing all that. If so, if it was based on our works, we're all what? Dead. We're in trouble. It's got to be faith alone in Christ alone. Right? Sola Scriptura. Probably spell it wrong. Anybody? It's uh, scripture alone, right? The freedom of scripture to rule uh, as God's word in the church. Uh, it basically said, and I love what Martin Luther did. I had somebody talk to me today, and they were, uh, um, again, afterwards. 
uh, they were talking to me about an issue. And I said, well, you know, let's look at this passage in Colossians. <laughs> and in their mind, they might have been thinking, well, why Scripture? Why is it that pastors always bring up Scripture? Well, the answer to that question is what? There's really no authority that we have other than what the Bible says. If we just do it up to opinion, what are we up? What are we doing? Doesn't matter because your opinion could be just as good as mine, right? And it probably is, by the way. Scripture alone. God's authority in his word. And that's what they began to do. That's why Martin Luther says, you know, when he was standing there and they told him to recant, he says, look, I'll change if you show me from Scripture, but otherwise I'm not going to change. I'm going to stand on it. By the way, would you say that you stand that hard on Scripture? Is Scripture your final authority? It is your primary authority. It's got to be in our homes, too. I, I, I know that I find my, I feel bad for my kids sometimes because I know I try to reason with you. <laughs> I try to reason you with you sometimes without using Scripture. I need to have Bible in my mind and on my heart more so that it's the authority, not just daddy. Right? And just my reasoning. Scripture alone. That's what made, that's what God used to make the big change. And then sola Christo or Christos. What is it? What did you find? Solus? Solus Christus? Okay, I spelled it wrong. Uh, Christ alone. The principle that it is only the person and work of Christ that is the basis of our salvation. So, a couple of other things that came out of it is the priesthood of all believers and the sanctity of all callings or vocations. And, you know, that's so important, just the whole concept of that every single person is a, a, uh, has a relationship with God, and it's not just the priest, and it's everybody can know forgiveness personally. And it's not based on you going to a priest and asking for indulgences. You, isn't that great truth? Can you imagine if it wasn't that way anymore? Hey, Mike. I need some help. What happens if Mike's struggling or Mike's not there? We depend on a priest? No. You are a priest of God. Every one of you knows Christ. Your sins are forgiven. You are one of the ones that proclaims the gospel. All this came out of the Reformation. Glorious night or glorious time. And then the sanctity of all callings and vocations. This is the denial that the distinction between the secular and the, the, the religious. That is, uh, and, and if y'all get nothing else from me, because I know y'all have heard a lot of this stuff before, but get this. You have a ministry from God, whatever you're doing. It's not just secular and priests. God has established that every single believer has a divine vocation, a calling in life. Whatever you're doing, that is what God has called you to do. Proclaim the gospel. Live for Christ. It's not just the preacher or the elder. That's what comes out of the Reformation. A quote from, he says, the works of the, he, he said, all ways of life are divine vocations. The works of monks and priests in God's sight are in no way whatever superior to a farmer laboring in the field or a woman looking after her home. 
That was Martin Luther. None of us are more intrinsically Christian. Did you hear that? I'm not more a Christian because I stand up here and go through some of this stuff than the mom that's taking care of the babies. That's good news. That's what comes out of it. It's a great night, isn't it? A great time to remember. Thank the Lord for his grace. Let's close with prayer. Father, thank you again for your goodness and your grace and what you did in this Reformation time. Lord, we are once again at a time in our church where the, the authority of Scripture is denied and the sufficiency of Scripture and that Christ is just another add-on to our lives instead of being our Lord and our Master. The church is not taking serious your gospel. God, we pray for another reformation. We pray that you will give us clear boldness for Christ. That we'll stand up for your glory to honor you. All of us are, are weak without you, God. Help us to be bold. As the Apostle Paul prayed, please give us boldness to proclaim the gospel and live for Christ. Thank you for this night. Thank you for remembering these great truths. And Lord, as we sing about the mighty fortress that you are, we pray that you will be pleased. Thank you for working in Martin Luther's life. Thank you for working in our lives, God, to declare us right through faith in your Son alone, by grace alone, for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name.